Hey, Chris. What's up, sweetheart? So, you know the friend of mine that, that's having a baby? She just recently attended a birthing class. Oh, sure. I remember those. Anything new that we didn't learn? Um, in a manner of speaking? She shared this with me. Take a look. How to tell if your child is a mutant messiah? What the heck? I know. I know. Who knew this was something we had to worry about? And look at all the symptoms. Well, some of these aren't so applicable. Causes overload of mutant locating slash mutant mind storage equipment upon birth. Keep reading. Demonstrates incredible powers. I mean, neither of our little guys are like that. Uh, Right, but look at that one. Is chased by fanatical religious hate groups. We had those folks going door to door. Right, but they weren't mutant haters, so let's call that a no. Okay, fine. Keep going. Last bit there. And is frequently visited by time-traveling old men. Ah, crap. Did somebody say time-traveling old men? Old Chris. Great. Why the heck did you need to show up? Just making us anxious. Is one of the Chrislets a mutant messiah? No, no, of course not. Well, that's a relief. Yeah, not one of them. Both of them are. Oh, no. Are we going to need to go into hiding or something? Nah, that's why I'm here. You just go ahead and talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to this, our first episode, first part of Messiah Complex. This is going to be the longest one we've ever covered? No? I don't know if we've ever done five issues in one episode. Spider-Verse, we did five issues in one episode. Oh, you might be right. You know, when, when we, uh, we, you know, we sold the entire Spider-Verse, but they only needed the edge of it. <laughs> That's right, because we did the five edge of the Spider-Verse in one episode. All right. So, I guess this rivals that. Yes, but Messiah Complex itself is a 13-parter. It's a big one. Yes, this is an X-Men crossover, and it's pretty large. And it was requested... By a patron. Yes, this was the first one that we were absolutely positively forced to do against our will. Well, I like Messiah Complex, but (laughs) we had no choice in the matter. So thank you to patron Charlie Davis for requesting this episode. If you would like to request an episode, you can support us at the $10 a month level for six months. And we will have to do a crossover and do an accolade. Charlie has not chosen their accolade yet, but we will we will work on that. Actually, if you want to force us to do a crossover and not choose an accolade, that's $5 a month uh, at the six-month mark. Mm-hmm. So, exciting things over at patreon.com slash Chris's, Chris's, Chris's pod. Chris's pod. <laughs> slash Chris's, Chris's pod. <laughs> so, yes, we are covering the first five issues found in the Messiah Complex event. They are of many various titles that we'll talk about in the summary. 
Yeah, this is not one of those ones where it's a miniseries. We get, like, a starter issue, and then it's into the ongoings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we've got a little business before we uh, do our summary. We have an iTunes review, a five-star iTunes review. Christy, would you like to read it? Yes, and I would not be unless it was five stars. <laughs> we don't read three-star <laughs> reviews. Get out. All right. So, iTunes reviewer Rob S., Three guesses as to who. Uh, Robert Sondheim, a distant relative of Stephen. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's give it a second guess. Rob Studebaker. He sounds like a swell guy, but uh, I'm going to say probably no. Yeah, I don't know then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that if, if they just put Rob S, that's probably all they wanted us to say. Rob S. <laughs> All right. Out of 10, I'd rank this excellent. Sure. I appreciate that ranking system. The apocryphal slash pseudo-apocryphal archangel Uriel is the angel of doors. He guards the gate, the entryway, the portal of the Garden of Eden with the flaming sword and slays all who dare attempt entry. The Chrises are a bit Uriel-esque in that they metaphorically stand at host this door podcast to paradise, a fun listening experience. They are not entirely Uriel-esque because, one, they're humans, not abstract bodiless intelligences in the second choir of angelic hierarchy. Uh, Two, they don't murder people who try to enter that door, but instead encourage people to listen to their good podcast. And three, Uriel, to my knowledge, doesn't care about biscuits. Still, they're far more like Uriel than they are any of the canonical archangels, and way more than other apocryphal folks. Azrael, they are not. Which is a good thing. Don't even get me started on Ananiel. I think I lost track of my point. The point was, you should listen to them. Thank you, Rob S. What a delightful review. (laughs) That was a really fun one to read. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to practice your short essay skills in review form, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Yeah, we'll happily shout you out on the show. All right. So, do we have any other business before we get to the summary? No, I don't think so. I think it's time for summary. Summary. Messiah Complex Number 1, written by Ed Brubaker, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Joe Weems, Marco Galli, and Sheldon Mitchell, colored by Frank D'Armada, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Nick Lowe. At the mansion, Professor X futilely uses Cerebra, noting to Beast that, yeah, there aren't many mutants left after M-Day, until a huge feedback gives the Professor major brain freeze and blows out Cerebra. Convinced that there is a new mutant being born, Xavier sends a team to Cooperstown, Alaska, to scope it out. The team, consisting of Cyclops, Emma Frost, Wolverine, Angel, and Nightcrawler, notice that the whole town is completely on fire and arrive to help. While rescuing innocent people, they notice the bodies of several of the marauders in the fire, as well as purifiers, a mutant hate group. After searching further, they find a grief-stricken mother whose child was killed by purifiers. Emma tries to soothe her and also scans her mind. Dubious morality, that. 
The purifiers came through this town, searching for any children that could have been possibly born, and killing all of them, just in case. The marauders arrived later, also searching for the kid. Angel scopes out the local hospital, where he finds the purifiers had killed two of the three babies born that night, with the remaining child missing, a mutant birth. The X-Men fly off to figure out what to do next, but lurking in the wilderness, the engineered monster known as Predator X is on the hunt. Uncanny X-Men number 492, written by Ed Brubaker, penciled by Billy Tan, inked by Danny Mickey and Alan Martinez, colored by Frank D'Armada, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Nick Lowe. Scott and Emma watch the news out of Cooperstown, planning what to do next, when Xavier comes to give some good advice. Cyclops isn't having it, because frankly, at this point in X-Men history, Xavier has been basically only doing pretty bad things. Cyclops tells Xavier to just work on Cerebra, and that he's got the X-Men covered. In the city, some city, a group of the X-Men hunt down several former members of the Acolytes, which, when they find them, means it's time for a tussle, even though Wolverine says they just want to talk. Richter, Madrox, and Layla Miller, you know, the one who knows things, visits the mansion. Well, Emma kind of psychically forced them, and Cyclops kind of orders them to help out with the new mutant birth situation. Richter is going to infiltrate the purifiers, given that he is no longer a mutant. Madrox and Layla are going to see Forge for something. Beast notices something odd about one of the weapons they took off the purifiers, but can't quite put his finger on it. Charles is pretty bummed out that Cyclops isn't trusting him, so he has a sad hang in the Cerebra chamber. The field team finally catches and subdues the former Acolytes as they're looking for the whereabouts of their former leader, Exodus, who joined with the Marauders. Prepping for bed, Cyclops and Emma discuss the possibilities of hope caused by the new mutant baby, and Cyclops can't help but think there's something he's not thinking about. Something big. Like Predator X. X Factor number 25. Written by Peter David. Penciled by Scott Eaton. Inked by John Dell. Colored by Frank D'Armada. Lettered by Corey Pettit. And edited by Nick Lowe. Wolfsbane attacks the purifiers who are hiding in a church. She is stopped, however, by a passerby who shoots her several times, causing her to dive into a nearby speeding truck for safety. Well... It's all a bamboozle. The bullets were fakes, shot by depowered Richter, and Siren was driving the pickup. Richter uses this new cred to join up with the purifiers. Madrox and Layla Miller arrive at Forge's place, which he calls the Eerie because he's like that, where Forge explains he has a machine that predicts the future and can also send people there. Wolverine, Storm, and Nightcrawler track the former acolyte Amelia Vogt to a hospital she works at, where they ask, not very nicely, where the marauders are, and she also not so nicely, agrees to help. After the mutant baby was born, two new possibilities have opened in time, and Forge wants Jamie to send two dupes to investigate. They are psychically programmed to kill themselves, yikes, after gathering the information in the future. However, when the dupes are sent, Layla Miller jumps through after one of them. Jamie demands Forge to help get Layla back, 
but the multiple man soon passes out. Back at the mansion, the X-Men students, specifically Rockslide, Surge, Hellion, X-23, and Mercury, demand to help with the mission, and Cyclops refuses. The kids definitely didn't want to hear that. And back at the purifiers, they show Richter, who is still undercover, the purifiers' massive stockpile of weapons. Gulp. New X-Men number 44, written by Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, penciled by Umberto Ramos, inked by Carlos Cuevas, colored by Edgar Delgado, lettered by Dave Sharp, and edited by Nick Lowe. In the Canadian Rockies, a lone, fire-breathing mutant is attacked by Predator X. At the mansion, the new X-Men figure out that the purifiers were involved with the incident involving the baby, and Surge wants to get involved. Xavier overhears and tries to talk her down, but she blows up at him verbally and stomps off. Madrox still remains in a coma, which means any dupes uh, reporting back from the future, aka killing themselves off, won't get any information out since it'll just go to the unconscious Jamie. The X-Men field team is in Antarctica, where Kurt has found something. Richter remains incognito, where he finds out that the purifiers still don't have the baby, but instead have some new allies. Eighty years in a possible future, Madrox, Dupe, and Layla comb the area for information, finding out locations of mutants in a public library. Well, it turns out it's another internment camp future. Oof. The new X-Men have figured out the church where the purifiers are based out of and begin their attack-slash-recon. Anole figures out that the purifiers don't have the baby and comes across Richter, who tells the kids to get the heck out. Sinister and his marauders prepare to leave their Antarctic base when the X-Men bust in, again looking for that baby. The new X-Men are really taking it to the purifiers, but suddenly Hellion is stabbed from behind by Lady Deathstrike, accompanied by the Reavers. X-Men number 205, written by Mike Carey, penciled by Chris Pachalo, inked by Tim Townsend, colored by Brian Reber, lettered by Corey Pettit, and edited by Nick Lowe. The X-Men begin the fight with the Marauders, while Emma Frost psychically joins in for the assist. Angel corners Mr. Sinister, demanding to know about the child, and Wolverine does the same with Gambit, who is a big old traitor right here. The new X-Men are beset by the Reavers, who become quickly outclassed by those robot boys. Richter comes in for the assist and helps Pixie concentrate enough to teleport the crew away, but they end up all over the place. Emma realizes where the new X-Men are, suddenly, but that breaks her concentration with the Antarctica group. Who are swiftly taken out by Mr. Sinister. Nightcrawler teleports everyone to safety, leaving Wolverine for last. Wolverine finds out the Marauders don't have the baby, but is also gravely injured after Scrambler turns his powers off. Kurt snags Wolverine and blindly teleports after being shot by a high-powered weapon. Emma checks in telepathically, and Wolverine tells her an X-Man took the baby. But before anything can be done, the Sentinels stationed outside the Xavier property, it's complicated, are taken over somehow and attack the mansion. And in the snow, holding a baby, is the Wild Man of Borneo, Cable. Cable. 
Well, this was just a big old doozy of five issues, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of action-packed stuff going on. Uh, I, I would say it's definitely pretty admirable with this many writers, the cohesiveness of the story. Yeah, and while each issue does tend to focus on certain people, it doesn't necessarily leave out anybody. Right. I I find it I find it really enjoyable like reading the new X-Men issue that it's not just the new X-Men. We get bits of the other storylines that we've seen going along. So story-wise, it tends to feel like a very cohesive crossover across all of these issues which probably had to be really frustrating if you were following only one of these titles. Oh, yeah. it's it, d- Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, this is just it. one of those where you've got to get them all or just don't even read it. Right, basically. You're just going to have to, for one month, maybe get everything. Yeah. Or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Christy, we buy our crossovers. You wait for the trade. <laughs> this, was a, this was a big old juicy... I don't even think it was a trade. I'm fairly certain it came out as a hardcover. Oh, okay. It's 13 issues. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a large hardcover. boy. Yes. Um, so just to remind all the readers kind of where we are in X-Men history, this is after M-Day. Yes. So there are less than 200 mutants left in the world. Mm-hmm. And a chunk of them are at the Xavier Mansion. Man. And let me tell you, reading this now in the light of, like, Hoxpox and the state of X-Men today... Mm-hmm. It feels not that significant. Like, <laughs> a um, lot of the problems that they have going on in the interpersonal conflicts, I'm just like, wow, Cyclops is really mad that his brother's in space and his dad's dead. Hmm. I mean, that's everything, though. <laughs> yeah. If you go back and read Claremont, you're like, none of this matters. Right. I mean, it does, but... Oh. It's it's just kind of it's kind of it's the fun part about going back and reading old crossovers. You're like <laughs> Scott. You know, good advice for just life in general. Is this going to matter, you know, in 5 minutes, 5 days, 5 weeks, 5 months, 5 years? 5 crossovers. 5 crossovers. The rule of 5, guys. Yeah. Um so, fun fact, a few weeks ago, Jordan D. White, the current senior editor in charge of the X line asked people what their, if they could pick 10 trades mm-hmm. that would, that would get you up to speed with Hawks Pox, what you would pick. And this was one of mine. Oh, I consider Messiah complex that important. It gets you up to speed. I mean, I guess it really does set kind of the, the stakes for if like Krakoa is not successful. Mm hmm. Like, what the state of mutantdom is like. Well, and it's, he specifically meant, not necessarily thematically, just what what important events happened in X-Men okay. that, that that eventually lead to Hawks Fox. Well, so far, I've only read the first five issues, so I guess, I guess it'll become more important as time goes on. But I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Are you wondering who the mutant baby is? Yeah. So you don't know who the mutant baby no, is? No, I didn't... It, I think it's kind of fun to go into these sometimes not knowing the mm-hmm. end. I mean, it gives you, I mean, that that's, if there's a perk about having like me, a newer reader, part of this podcast, going back and reading old events that I never read, it should be to like get to experience it for the first time. Just so fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I'm hooked. I want to know who this baby is. Why does Cable have him? I mean, of course Cable got there first. 
I have one complaint about this crossover is that Cable (laughs) just should have called somebody. (laughs) There's a a joke in Explain the X-Men that a lot of the X-Men's problems could be solved if someone just picked up a phone. And this is definitely one of them. Could Cable have just said, hey, I've I've got the baby. Don't worry about it. They wouldn't have had to send anybody to Antarctica and get shot and like burned and stuff. And the the students wouldn't have gone. Well, we don't really know the state of oh who got up hellion yeah uh i don't think hell i think hellion makes it man i don't know how you get stabbed by that many finger claws and make it (laughs) uh lady deathstrike must have artfully avoided his heart for many arteries (laughs) uh so uh, what what to this? I think we can talk about what did work and what we enjoyed in a little bit. But what what to you kind of didn't work? Because I tend to be a very positive on this crossover. Uh, so I'm really not a fan of a lot of the the oddies, as we might call them the the naughty oddies the the naughty oddies, uh, especially the in terms of the art, the coloring. I think it's just the style of the time. Uh, But in a lot of these issues, everybody just looks kind of sticky or (laughs) moist, if that word doesn't drive you crazy. If it does, Uh, I'm sorry. 50 people just turned off this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. But they do. It just reminds me. It gives me the feeling looking at it of like that sticky glossy like lip balm rollers uh and also the sticky like roller balls of glitter that like i had as like probably in the in the in the oddies as a, as a young tween roller balls of glitter and sticky lip gloss just looking at that art makes me feel that all over my body because they look sticky the i don't know if it's i guess it's just the high contrast mm-hmm. In a lot of the coloring, I liked the X-Men issue the, art. They didn't look sticky to me. The first three issues had had, had one colorist. Ah, uh, that, that explains the sticky, because I liked the last two. All right. <laughs> yeah, eventually they were like, oh, right, this is like a comic book. Let's put some bright colors in here. <laughs> no, I feel yeah. Um I know you, uh, you. There is also some uh, some body positioning issues you talked about that Mark oh, Silvestri you drew. Know, Here's the, the deal with Mark Silvestri, though. He does do that, but everybody is sexy when they're drawn by Mark Silvestri. There's a a very famous cover drawn by Mark Silvestri of a of it's an issue and a trade of Here Comes Tomorrow, which is like the last Morrison story, <laughs> and it that man lovingly crafts Wolverine's butt in jeans, and he's just like he's like. Doing like the uh, the cover to, I'm trying to remember the album of of Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. where it's just like the butt. It's very much like that, but Wolverine, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, I could blame Mark Silvestri for drawing for 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 doing this body positioning sexy, but he does everybody that way. Yeah. At least, yeah. at least he's equal opportunity. Like. I feel like reading some of these issues that I'm reading things I wouldn't have wanted my parents to see. Like, it just looks that... <laughs> I mean, it looks that sexy. <laughs> Why is that woman bending over on a plane? Nothing, Mom! <laughs> I just imagine Christy under the covers with a flashlight going, how are the mutants going to get out of this one? 
I like this alternate Christy who is super into the X-Men as a teen and like got on live journal to talk about it. Oh gosh. Oh, uh, probably would have been better than what I was doing as a teen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think you would have been a delightful teen fan. Oh yeah. Oh, but yes, everybody is sexy, including the teenagers, and I am not here for that. Well, Mark Silvestri does not draw them. Right. That's a, that's Umberto Ramos, and you're right. Serge it definitely is wearing like a kind of crop top sort Tube of deal. Top. Tube top sort of deal. It, it's drawn in a way that it doesn't – I can't imagine that it's physically staying up unless it is a complete like plastic thing that does not – at all allow her rib cage to expand or move. So a lot of these new X-Men are probably completely new to you. Anole I recognized from Age of X-Men. Yes. Anole gets gets featured quite a bit. I mean X-23 is in there. Well, yes, of course. Very, just, very yeah. prominently featured. But like Surge doesn't show up a ton. Mm-mm. I'm trying to remember if Surge is well, every every mutant's currently alive, right? But and I feel like I've seen is it is it dust? Yeah. I feel like I've seen her elsewhere, but I can't really place where or if I'm just aware of dust. Um I I've seen dust criticized as I think somebody once drew dust and like her outfit was like form fitting and people were like somebody what is this? Somebody tried to make her stop making the teenagers sexy, please. Just stop. Stop. <laughs> You've got adults to work with, let them be teens. <laughs> I know, and the X-Men are, like, notoriously sexy. Just let them do it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of... So those are those are probably your chief complaints, right? Yeah, I felt sticky reading this. All of it? No, the, 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 I feel like the beginning of a story really sets the tone. Oh, so you just... You basically rolled around in gum, and there just uh-huh. wasn't enough peanut butter in the middle. Right, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, we'll go with that. There wasn't enough. <laughs> there wasn't enough uh, peanut butter to to get that gum off by the by the end of the five that we read. <laughs> I mean, also story wise, it was a cohesively ha- told story. I still don't know. I think it's just a problem with me and crossovers in general that they're not very not much, not often my kind of story. They're always, you know. Big, bad, super huge, high-stakes problem. Are Uh we going to solve it? And you as the reader just know, of course they're going to solve it, and it's going to be fine. Like, Well, in some crossovers, House of M, it definitely ends with them not having solved it. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. We're not to the end yet, so we'll eventually talk about it. But there's some cool stuff I think the Messiah Complex accomplishes just by existing. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a a big, punchy one. It is a big punchy one. It is not a quiet story. Does this make you have want to have read a bunch of stuff up to this point? Um, I don't know. I feel like like do you wish you were reading the Uncanny or the Young or or the New X Men stuff? X Factor. No. No. I feel like I don't need to have read any of it to jump into this. I mean, I've read M Day, so I know kind of that status quo, what's going on, Mm -hmm. and. I don't know. I feel like maybe by the end of the crossover, I'll feel differently, but I don't feel like I've spent enough time with like any one character or story that I've really gotten attached to a particular title that I've seen here. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's just like X-Men story. This is more X-Men. I don't feel like it. (laughs) 
don't feel like it, it draws me into a particular title from this. I thought Mike Carey's writing was so good that I wanted to check out the rest of his run. He did the, he wrote the adjective list. Okay. That's the issue with the big fight with the yes. X-Men. It's the, the last one that we read. Mm-hmm. With so, the Chris Pachalo art. I mean, I feel like that is perhaps the downside of a really cohesive event between all the titles is it doesn't really give you a taste of what has been going on in that title no, too it, much. It's almost like they kind of focus a little bit on the on the characters. Like Wolfsbane was a member of X Factor, so she gets a moment to help out Richter. Yeah. But it, it is kind of the Richter story in X Factor and I guess the Madrox and Layla Miller story. I love the the threads that this hits though and how it likes to connect them later. I mm-hmm. think that that was kind of artfully done. Like for example, we get Richter uh infiltrating the purifiers. One thing I would have liked is maybe for that to have gone on a few more issues mm. before he kind of kind of blew his cover. I guess right. we'll, we'll see how that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the new X-Men showed up, poor Richter does not even have his powers. So they're like, hey, go infiltrate these guys. You used to have really cool earthquake powers, but now you don't. We just want to remind you of that. <laughs> hey, you could totally frame that in a different light of, hey, you know, just because you don't have powers now doesn't mean that you can't do really useful things to help out mutants. Here's a way you can help us out. Right. And I do like that Richter, I guess it's also, it's like Richter still feels his identity, even if a part of it has been taken from him, which right. is kind of cool. I like Richter. I think he's, I think he's a neat character. I think this is the first I've really read of Richter. Oh, uh, he's Char- great. Charlie, don't kill me. <laughs> Charlie's going to get you. They are. <laughs> I liked that. Um, the one thing that felt superfluous is, um, to me a little, is the Cyclops was sending everybody to find this baby, but Madrox got to, is like, well, you go into the future. We just want to see what the future is looking like. Yeah. Forge is like, like what's up? I made a future so, device. <laughs> so important. I guess because there are new futures because of the birth of this child. Right. So they're specifically trying to figure out what the child causes, I guess. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do with this baby when we find it? Right. <laughs> what do they plan to do with the baby when they find it? Well, not what the purifiers want to do. I, yes. Yes. So the purifiers um, are an offshoot of the bad guy from God Loves Man Kills, who is a reverend named William Stryker. Mm-hmm. So they take the like religious aspect and bring it into like a weird religious militia. Yeah. What do you? Is this your? Is this this is your first purifier taste? Well, I aside think. from the show, the gifted. <gasps> right. Whereas the purif- the purifiers in that are like the most good old boysy. They right, don't have like cool a lot suits. Ku Klux Klan like. Yeah, I'd say that's true. Then. The I mean it seems like a religious underground war in this, which I guess maybe is somewhat Ku Klux Klan-y still. They're a bunch of wasps. Yeah. Yeah. Um But yeah, they I mean that was kinda the start of, of of the purifiers was literally like how would how would like religious extremists feel about mutants and well some of them would of course completely hate them. Well not all of the purifiers are wasps. No? No. Our, our, our dude who, like, no, initiated... No, I, I was saying the Ku Klux Klan were Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, yes. Yes. That's, that's true. 
Um, I think the purifiers make for a really easy bad guy. Oh yeah, because especially like I mean, boy, at the start of this crossover, they it's showed like, up and murdered all the kids. Yeah, they indiscriminately just, just for the heck of it. Which a lot of them were humans. That's all of wa- them. All of them were humans. All of them were humans. <laughs> that is completely wild to me. Like that they are like so anti mutant that they like feel religiously about it, but they will also just take out some random humans. Like the whole "thou shalt not kill" doesn't doesn't apply. No, but that's. I mean, that's that's like another parallel. Is like a lot of these extremist hate groups have these like dubious sort of like uneven under their own credo morals that they right. seem to kind of follow or not follow depending on how they feel. You just think if they would have had enough technology to detect the birth of a mutant, that they would also have had enough technology to know that nobody else in this town was a mutant. Yeah, they were. It was given to them by Nimrod, though. So I'm wondering if they just were like, you, like you know, hunting and pecking on a keyboard equivalent, or they just get so riled up that right? Why not? That why not? You just get that that bloodthirst. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, they're not 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 great guys. And we saw some of our um, some of our pals from. Uh, mutant massacre dead in the first issue of this, didn't we? Yeah. Remember that the Marauders are by and large just cloned a bunch of times, so they can <laughs> come back as much. But yeah, we got our got our our quote unquote pals, Scalp Hunter and Scrambler <laughs> and Vertigo and yeah. Didn't I don't remember seeing Harpoon? Maybe 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 Harpoon was there. I feel like, but there's some extras. Did you notice that Omega Sentinel was there? Oh yeah, yeah. But this Omega Sentinel, if I recall, is being possessed by Malice, who is this sort of possessy being. Omega Sentinel always has the rawest deal, and I just feel very bad for her. Mm. She was just a human and then got taken over by the Sentinel Nanites and is extra taken over by another <laughs> being. And now in current continuity is just completely evil. Mm. Well... I feel like having your body taken over is just a fairly common thing in comics. It's just it's just a risk. It's just of being in comics. What are you a superhero? We don't insure you for having your body taken over. <laughs> oh, what a fabulous insurance agency that would be. Sell insurance to superheroes against like body possession, you know. We'll cover any damages to your body while it is being possessed by somebody else. <laughs> so uh insurance's purpose as we all know is to make money and there's no way they would make money i don't know what's the what's the ratio how many heroes have been had their bodies possessed like i mean many. do we think it's like a like a many. 20 80 30 30 70 split like 50 50 percent i don't know like a lot it's so common. I need I need statistics. Okay. I need these numbers run. <laughs> Listeners, I know somebody out there has an abundance of time and skill that definitely wants to solve this problem for me. Right. <laughs> Let's see. Of 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 our five original X-Men who's had their body possessed. Jean Grey. Yes. By the Phoenix. Iceman by Emma Frost. Yes. Angel by like apocalypse kind of yeah yeah okay so that's that's three out of five right there Beast at one point gets kind of infected with like demonic magic 
Oh. Cyclops has to have been taken over at some point. I just can't think of the time. Oh, readers, tell us the time. <laughs> so that's 80%. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. So yeah. Yeah, no, they wouldn't make any money. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Mr. Sinister though, like engineering an insurance scheme. I just feel like he would do that. <laughs> Did you like the big fight between the X-Men and the Marauders? And they're like, there's the bit where the reveal is like you thought there were five of us, but there was six, and you see like the outline oh, of Emma Frost. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. It was I love that whole fight. I also love that Exodus, who is an incredibly, incredibly powerful, like seven hundred year old mutant or something, mm-hmm. gets completely like dunked on because Kurt's just like, What's up, teleporting you a long way away? All right, bye. <laughs> It is a really fun fight. But, okay, so imagine if in that fight they were actually able to recover Rogue. How must it feel to be Rogue and know that they only came after you because you were on the way to getting the baby? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all haven't even met this baby. I'm your friend. (laughs) Yeah, poor Rogue. (laughs) Oh, we'll pick her up. She's on the way. She's durable. <laughs> she got like kidnapped after being shot. Like, <laughs> I guess they just were like, I guess she's fine. Not high high enough priority. Doesn't rank over baby. <laughs> <laughs> over no, over question mark baby. Theoretical baby they haven't seen. Oh. <laughs> Poor rogue. Poor rogue. <laughs> and she does not even get recovered. We don't see her at all. No. Except on the cover. True. It made me wonder if they were originally going to put her in this issue and then we're like, oh, no room. I don't know. I just it was feel a like there's, issue. there's so many comics where you get people on the cover who aren't actually in the issue. It's it's upsetting. I mean, back in like the 60s and 70s, especially with DC. Oh, not, that was even, I don't think that was the 70s. That was like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. They would draw these outlandish covers of like something that kind of happened in the issue to get you to buy it, like, sorry, Lois, I've got to dump you, and I have to eat this entire tray of pies. And you're like, <laughs> you'll be completely astounded as Superman eats a million pies. And you're like, what? See, I'd be, I'd be here for that. But what it looks like, it's going to be an authentic moment from the issue, uh-huh. and the character doesn't even show up. Not fun. Mm. Mm. Makes me, makes me salty. Well, I think she's going to show up later. Okay, I'll trust you, because you've read it, and I have it. It's like the first X-Men crossover I read, though, so I probably read it in, like, 2008 or seven. It's been a bit. When did this come out? It came out in... Hmm. Hmm. 2007. 2007. So I would have read this, I think, in 2008-ish. No, 2008 is when I started comics, so either 08 or 09. Yeah. I mean, this uh, might very well finish in 08. Because what I'm looking at right now, The Uncanny came out in November of 07. Oh. So if it's that many issues. Well, I, th- I think it, would, it probably went over like three months or so. Mm, yeah. Uh, January 2008? Yeah. I mm-hmm. would have read it probably in 2009, thereabouts. Oh, wow. It's not long before we we met. Yeah, maybe I didn't read it in 2009. I read it when I was still living at home. So I think that was 08. All right. Well, further before we met. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think we need to get into some accolades. What do you think? 
All right, accolades. All right, Christy, what is your best line? All right, uh, my best line is probably not a line that anybody else would pick out as a as a standout line in this issue. It just really tickled me. Uh, it's when the, the X-Men go looking for the Acolytes, mm-hmm. and Colossus finds them and just very angrily points and says, both of you, please stay right where you are. And the fact that he throws in a please and seems to actually expect them to listen, it just delighted me. That's very Colossus. I, kinda, <laughs> I get it. My best line is Wolverine when he is fighting with Gambit and kind of like corners him. He's asking about where the where the mutant baby is. And he says, think hard because I'm going to have to take your first answer, <laughs> which is wild. <laughs> I mean, is Wolverine asking about the baby there or Rogue? I think he was asking about Rogue. I think you're right. Because he says the kid. Oh, yes. Well, the baby's also the kid. I guess. I don't know, but he's asking about, <laughs> but the, I'm going to have to take your first answer. <laughs> that's, that's a fun threat. Yeah. That's pretty good. I That's mean, a Mike Carey written line. Do love Mike Carey. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Hickman asked Mike Carey to like come write a Hawks Pox or a, a Dawn of X title and uh-huh. Carey was just too busy. Oh. But they specifically wanted him to do an idea and he was like, I'm, I, I don't have time to do it, but that sounds rad. Get somebody else to do it. Oh. But like Hickman's a big Mike Carey fan. Mm-hmm. So say we all. So say we all. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris, who is your greatest hero? I'm going to give it to Richter for for being the the infiltrator of the purifiers and kind of having to go in and be amongst people who, if he demonstrated an X gene, would hate him and who want to kill all his friends and having to kind of act nice. Mm-hmm. And, and Richter does not like to act nice. Right. He is kind of a he is kind of a grump. So yeah, and he does it all without like. The comfort of having powers if he needed them. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your for your service, Richter. Very yeah. brave. Yeah. You're making me regret that I didn't pick him. I'm sorry. Who'd you pick? Uh, I picked uh, one Emma Frost. Shocking. <laughs> uh, she, was, she was awesome keeping tabs on everybody and everything. And you know what? I feel like she was just spread a little bit too thin. She she was the peanut butter toast problem. She was. You know, was. you only have so much peanut butter, but sometimes the toast is just too big. She was doing her best, though, and, like, holding it all together. With her, you have a hope that all of these wounded and injured X-Men and new X-Men are will be, like, recovered and brought home and we're going to regroup. Yeah. Whereas, like, without her ability, it's like, well, guess people are dying all over and we don't know where they are. I like this characterization of Emma, which is, she's still kind of, like, catty and, and, and very, like, very Emma Frost, but she is, like, competent and caring at the same time. And I feel like you need to be able to kind of blend all those things. Yeah. She 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 gets she's very much a like fine then for the children and I I kind of dig it. Oh yeah, I mean of course Emma and kids and this is kind of all about one particular kid, but we also had other kids in danger, and she seems to really enjoy Scott in charge. She does. <laughs> she does. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so she was my greatest hero. 
Um, how about your coolest moment? Oh, the coolest moment had to be the uh, cable and baby reveal, the last page mm-hmm. of X Men. I that was so cool. Him just holding the holding this baby on the edge of a mountain. Uh, one thing that I love about Cable, that man loves babies. It's it's real sweet seeing Cable with a baby strapped to his chest. Yeah, uh, reminder to Pier- Piers Morgan, who definitely listens to this podcast, um, men with babies strapped to their chest. That's just a good look. <laughs> All right, Chris, what about your coolest moment? Mine is um, the big splash panel where Storm covers the retreat by like shooting gobs and gobs of lightning while holding her cool spear up in the air. Yeah, that, that was cool. That was really cool. Um it's a good use of a splash panel. I always love Storm be- getting to be flashy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She looked fabulous. Mm-hmm. All right. Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy. I've just got a thing for people People saying please when they're asking, asking people to stand still. Because mine goes to the Purifier, who's kind of a checking Richter in, like giving him the tour. And they're doing, doing Richter's uh, scan. And... He asks him, hey, stay where you are, and starts to scan him, and Richter's like, whoa, what's going on? And then he just, you know, politely holds up a gun to Richter and said, says, I said, stay where you are, please. I just love the use of please in funny spots. I just find it weird that people in these organizations are like, this guy's joining, and I'm going to just pull a gun on him. That's going to really make him just want to be my friend. <laughs> Villains know how to make friends. They sure do. <laughs> My silly villainy is Exodus for going out like such a punk. There's times in the past where he has been a big deal villain where he's hard to fight and Nightcrawler's just like, "Uh uh-uh, teleport away. (laughs) Turns out mountains is cold. (laughs) Mountains. Oh, you think you're very strong? Are you stronger than mountains is cold? (laughs) Guess not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well... I think that's gonna that's gonna wrap us up for uh, this episode of our part one of three of mm-hmm. Messiah Complex. Yeah, definitely gonna take three. Oh, for sure. Um, readers, uh, I hope you had fun with us. I had a lot of fun talking about this first part of Messiah Complex, and I really want to read more. I had to stop myself from reading more so I wouldn't accidentally talk about it. Yeah, that's definitely why I only read the first five. Yes, and not out of a sense of podcast um, podcast marital obligation. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, readers, please, if you've got the time or the resources, uh, support us in one of the following ways. You can hit us up on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Pod. We have levels for all of your budgetary needs and your selfish desires for us to cover specific things well that just sounds intriguing you better head on over (laughs) (laughs) your budgetary needs and selfish desires (laughs) no we absolutely love it when you pick stuff for us because then we don't have to yeah yeah you know we're just doing what we're told that's that's somebody's thing You can also support us at Kofi www.ko-fi.com slash curses on infinite earths at your $3 increments. We'll shout you out on the show for any donation you give. If you don't want to give those recurring Patreon ones. Um, also, if you just are short on cash, um, you can always just give us those five-star reviews. Those are 
incredibly helpful or tell your friends or your enemies about this podcast. Maybe you will tell an enemy they will enjoy this podcast and then you'll find a commonality and be able to bury that hatchet. Oh, I would love it if this podcast brought enemies together. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. That's a Hallmark movie waiting to happen right there. Yes. (laughs) So head to your hometown over the holidays, share this with an enemy. And the next thing you know, you're going to be married. It's it's true. (laughs) Under the mistletoe. (laughs) If you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook or email us at Earths at gmail.com for those more long-form messages. Mm -hmm. And you can also check out Chris and I's uh, writing over at XavierFiles.com. I am currently uh, co-writing Marieders with my co-writer, Vishal Gallipoli. uh, And... When this episode goes up, there will have been another Maritas that has gone up this week. That's that's happened two episodes uh, in a row here for us. Yeah, it's almost like these these comics are coming out so fast. Yeah, and I also do Talksmen with my writing partner Rob Secundus. We also have we also have our article on X Men number three, which will be up by the time this podcast is up. So a lot to check out from us. Yeah. Also, it's my birthday in less than a month. Yeah, you should get Christy something for her birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I am in, still in search of a Lockheed plush because I don't want to make one myself. <laughs> Please, but don't. I want one. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I could make one. But gosh, it looks like a lot of work. I have to, I have to like make eyes out of like clay. That sounds difficult. It does. It does. I mean. If I didn't, like, have kids, it would sound like a really fun Saturday. But I do have kids, so it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, readers. And until next time. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.